0: Okay. All right. So um uh, today I'm excited to teach on something very important uh and and I think it's going to bless our hearts uh, tremendously. Uh and and Friday pastor just as as a coincidence um Friday I was um, I was in the village. Um, I just come from the village. I was in the uh, boundary between Transoya, Kital and West Pokot just a day before yesterday. And I, I, went to visit one of my, my retired friends, bishops. And so we sat down under, uh, under shade as, as they were preparing some tea for him. And as a coincidence was, some other bishop came, was just passing by and said, let me go see my old bishop. I haven't seen him for a while. So two bishops came. And as we sat there, other two, other two, uh, pastors joined us. See that coincidence? Under a tree. And, I was blessed by by the old retired bishops, the two of them. They said things that uh, you can't read in books. And one thing that they said that caught my attention. They talked about the lack of unity of the church in their area. And the reason why they say that is it began this way. One of the young pastors said that he he organized for. Uh, a convention. Uh no a Bible, a Bible exposition convention with international teachers. And he said only members of his church attended. And I thought, wow, why would someone miss that? Particularly in the village. And the bishop said, all bishops said, we have not been taught the value of unity as a church. Okay. So they will talk about that. So today I will we'll be looking at the principles of church growth, the principles of church growth. And we'll be looking particularly um, in Acts of Apostle because uh, that's when we begin learning how the church grows. So we see the disciples beginning to grow the church. And if you recall, as we lay the foundation, on the day of Pentecost, there were 1,200 people that were gathered. Remember, first we had the 12, and then on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people gathered in that room, upper room. Later on, we see 3,000 people converting to Christianity by the preaching of our brother Peter. Hello? Hello? You read two chapters later, you see 5,000 people have been added. Today, the Bible says that we are innumerable company of angels. Look at us. From 12 to 120 to 3,000 to 5,000. There are things that the early church did that we need to learn from. Principles of church growth. And brothers, I know you are wondering, this should be A topic for pastors in a pastor's conference. Hold on. You you learned something. So when we talk about church growth, growth, as I was taught in school, means two things. That growth can be in terms of numerical, quantitative numbers, as I've just explained. But also growth is qualitative. Growth is qualitative, meaning growth can be in scope, for lack of another better word, can be in quality, can be in value. That is growth. And so, when you begin reading the early church, you realize that one thing that the Bible emphasized was growth qualitatively. Growth qualitatively. Qualitative growth of the people of the brethren led to quantitative growth of the church. Okay, I see some young guys in this church, so I'll go a bit slow. So, the Bible says this in uh, Acts 2, foot 1. It says, and they continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine and in fellowship And in breaking bread and prayer. Hello. That blesses my heart. That these people, the word steadfast means with one focus. And then it says they continued in doctrine. Meaning it was building people qualitatively. People were being nurtured qualitatively. Doctrine basically means teaching. Okay, Uh, uh, it means dehan in the the translation in terms of uh, uh, Greek, dehan. So, it meant these people were were getting instruction in the ways of God. And so, they grew inside. And we begin learning from the Bible, from the writings of, for example, Brother Paul. Paul writes to Timothy and says, from your childhood, you have known the scriptures, the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise and give you salvation in Christ Jesus. He's telling him, because of that, don't forsake that. For it's able to make you wise. That's where he tells the same guy, Timothy. It should be Timothy 4, uh, Timothy 1. He tells Timothy, do not let anyone neglect your youth. You know that, right? But be an example to brethren in what... In conduct, in faith, in love, in spirit, in purity. Six things. And he says, before I come, meditate on these things and give yourself entirely unto them that your progress may be evident to all. He's telling them that when you grow yourself inside, it becomes evident. So he's encouraging him, grow qualitatively grow qualitatively. So remember, qualitative growth leads to quantitative growth. So um we'll begin looking at at, at uh, the principles of church growth and uh we'll get that one from second acts uh I mean Acts two forty six uh forty seven just two of them as you turn that uh I'm just reminded, as we're talking about qualitative growth, uh, of a story I heard from, I think, from our brother John Carson, and he was saying uh, there were two trees that that were planted together. Uh, one was uh, at, at this store, a palm, a bamboo, a bamboo tree, and another one was an oak tree. I'm sure you have heard that story. Just quickly to paraphrase it, he says, the bamboo tree, as you know, grows very fast. But the oak tree takes years. So within six months, the bamboo tree was already sprouting up. And the bamboo and the oak tree was barely two leaves uh, from the ground. And so the bamboo tree kept on intimidating the oak tree and telling him, Hey man, you are standard. You are standard. When will you ever grow? One year, the bamboo tree was already big. Two years, it was all over the place. Three years, several inches tall. But the bamboo tree was, I mean, the oak tree was small. 20 years later, the bamboo tree was now a teenager, well stout, and there came a storm. Hello? <laughs> there came a storm, and you know what happened. Okay, so the bamboo tree was shaken and pushed and pushed and being uprooted. and say, hey, Mr. Oak, help me, help me, please, my brother. Mr. Oak was just there watching the, watching the storm. That is qualitative growth. It was digging deeper. As the other one was going up in a rush, the other one was going deeper and deeper. Alright. So let's look at, principles um, principle, principles of church, of church growth. Today I'll just do one, uh, and, and then that will be, uh, that will be enough. So, in 2nd Acts 46, the Bible says that, um, these guys, the, the apostles, continued daily in the temple, Ah, there we are. Uh, we shall get uh, uh, a New Kim James Version. Ah, uh, there we go. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Okay. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Next. No, 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 not that one. I think you skipped something there. Okay, praising God and having, and the, yeah, there we go. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. That's what I was looking for. So you see, brothers and sisters, that these people, the things i are mentioning there that is very important, compared to the first earlier one of 41, it says, these people continue together daily with one accord. Number one. Number two, they went house to house and they ate their bread with gladness and simplicity of heart. Today, I want to talk just on number one. Uh, the others will cover later on. We'll talk about one accord. That these people continue together with one accord as a principle of growing qualitatively and quantitatively. This word, one accord, is used in the Bible only 12 times. And the first time we find it, we find it in Luke 14, 18, where the Bible talks about Christ, uh, there's a farmer who organized a banquet for his son, and he went to the streets calling people, and they declined it. The Bible says, with one accord, they declined the invitation. Okay? But the one accord in Luke 18, if you look in your Bible, it's italized. Mine is. It means it was added. Okay? So the first time we find the word one accord without being italized is in Acts 1 4. That they were in one accord in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. They were in one accord 12 times. The next time you find one accord is when they are praying together when Peter had been released from prison. They were in one accord in prayer. So there is power in being one accord. Basically means being united. Means being one. The word translated one accord is homothadlan, very hard, which basically means one mind unanimously. And Christ prays for his disciples when he was going to for crucifixion, and says, My father, I do not just pray for this one, but I pray for those who will believe through them that they may be one. When a man is dying, and you have got only one minute to make a prayer or to say something, you will say something serious. Okay? You don't count chicken. You say something serious. So Christ, to talk about unity when he's going to die, it is heavy. So he's saying, I pray that these people will be in one accord. Now, and God in his wisdom decides, I will teach you how one accord looks like, even before the church is born. And the pastor began that last week. God in his wisdom, I keep saying, brothers and sisters, that we in the New Testament church, we are so spoiled. Because God prepared us so many centuries before, gave us a revelation of how we should walk even before we were born. Now, let's look at one accord from the teachings that the pastor began last week. God taught us how does one accord look like? Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm sure for those who were in church last Sunday, remember this. Nehemiah 2 will begin 9 9 to 13, eh? So we want to see how one accord looks like. Uh, we we'll break it down quickly in the interest of time. Uh, Nehemiah chapter two, verse nine. Uh, I read quickly. To thirteen. So we'll do a number of scriptures. So, uh, so this is the story of our brother Nehemiah, as brother Timothy has also begun giving us a sort of of history building. So uh, here he sent to Judah. To construct the wall, so I'll just build on, on what Pastor said last week. Because I won't go back to the details of how he began and who he was and how he got the permission. I'll not go in those details. So just begin. Number nine it says, "Then I went to the governors in the region beyond beyond the river, and gave them king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. So we learn that when he was given the permission to go construct the wall, he didn't just go alone." that he went with a company of, 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 um, of, guards, uh, or the army. Look at that favor. Okay. Number, chapter 10, verse 10 rather. When Sanballat, the Hororite and Tobiah, the Amor, Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So, people are not happy that someone has come to seek for the well-being. They would rather that they would remain in the status. Awesome. 11. So, I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with with me except the one on which I rode. Let's skip to uh, 17, uh, verse 17, the same chapter. Then I say to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies west and it gets a burn with fire. Come and let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise and build. Then they set their hands to do this good work. Are you seeing how they're speaking in one accord? Let us arise and set our hearts and and, and do this good work. But when Sanballat the Hororite, Tobiah the Ammonite the official, and, and Geshem, the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, uh, New Kingdom said, they laughed us to scorn. What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Let's skip to 4, uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 1. So are you seeing the chronology, how they're, they're going? Uh, so chapter 4, we see this. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, okay, now they have withstood the position, now that they built the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they complete in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of the rubbish, of, the, of, of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, "Whatever they build, even a fox goes upon it, he will break down their wall." Okay, I think I'll leave at that. Then, other we can feel it. So, brothers, you see how I think you know that story. That brother Nehemiah, who was distressed and given the burden to go and construct the wall, is now in Jerusalem with the king's permission. And as, be, as he begins to plan, as an architecture planning, he begins to get opposition. A guy called Tobiah, Sanballat, and Geshem rise up against him. And they begin to discourage them. They begin to dissuade them. In chapter 4, we see that these guys did not focus on the discouragement. They soldiered ahead. So, facts about one accord. Number one, that one accord requires common purpose and relentlessness on the objective. That as a church for us to grow, we need to be relentless about the purpose. These guys focused on the purpose. They focused on the wall. Our purpose is to construct the wall. Sanballat and his boys can make noise, but for us, we'll focus on the construction of the wall. As you read Nehemiah going along, they even faced death threats. Sanballat began organizing an army of hooligans to begin attacking these people. But Nehemiah and his team decided that we will hire, we will train ourselves, have people who watch over the workers and each one of us will carry a sword and a spear. So they had a shovel in one hand and they were having a sword here. Just in case Tobiah and the group attacked. So we see that they had a common purpose. So brethren, for us as a church, we know that our objective is to go to heaven. That's our objective. Really. That's our objective. The second objective is for us to take as many as possible with us. Because it's a good place. We learn from that from the scripture. It's a good place. The Bible says that we should be able to prevent those others who are para who are stumbling to death. So we are protecting people from stumbling to death. So the second objective is for us to go with as many as possible. But within the same breath, that as long as we are in this tent, the Bible calls us the tent, that we will remain relevant. That we will remain relevant in the communities that we are. That we will remain useful. Talking about trip, God teaches me many things. Same trip I went in the village, uh, which I came this morning. I went to visit a brother of mine. We were together at the university uh, doing uh, Christian Union. He has he has um, a huge uh, began uh, an agriculture. How do you call it? Um, he has greenhouses, so he multiplies seed to sell to farmers. And so I went to visit him. I've seen him posting on Facebook. He has a PhD, so I was wondering: this man with a PhD left teaching the university. And he's going to Kitali to do greenhouses. I thought this man is out of his mind. So I went to see him so that I can help him to come back to his senses. When I went there, my brothers and sisters, I was ministered to. I was ministered to. This man has got acres and acres. And he has hired 10 staff. So I asked him, Brother Josh, where did you get the vision and the money for this? And the stories that man gave to me. How he is transforming the farmers. It blessed my heart. And I said, I told him actually, when together, I told him, my brother, you are the church. You are doing the church. This man, a PhD in a village with his wife, they are doing farming and transforming the community. This man, because he is a man of integrity, someone just spotted him in Netherlands. And this money is channeling money to this man without even asking for auditing. So he's telling me, I just called this old man, I tell him I need 120,000 Kenya shillings, or uh, 120 million Kenya shillings. He's talking about millions. And this man says, what do you need for? So I explained to him on the phone, and he channels the money. I said, Brother Josh, who does that? And so I asked him, are you drawing a salary? He tells me, no, I'm not drawing a salary here. So how are you feeding your family? You have a beautiful wife and two children. He tells me, "I do other hands. I help. I don't. I won't tell you this where he works. He says, I help the government. <laughs> he helps the government because he's a guy trained with the food sec- safety and security. He helps one of the government parastatals. So they call him every time once a week. So he flies to Nairobi and flies back. And the government I insisted to pay him a salary. He's a senior, uh, one of those senior guys in the government." comes to Nairobi once a day a week to advise the government and goes back and helps the farmers. And I said, my brother, you are doing the church. So we are meant to be relevant. We are meant wherever God takes us, we are like manure. We are spread everywhere. We cause things to grow. That's who we are. Amen? Number two, Let's look at Nehemiah 3.7 to learn something there. So 3.7 And next to them Melatia the Kibonite, Jordan the Merothite the men of Kibion and Mizpah repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to him Uzel the son of Ahariah, one of the goldsmiths made repairs. Also next to him Ananiah one of the famous made repairs, then they fortified Jerusalem, and next to them was Rephia, the son. Are you seeing the son of her? Are you seeing that? That from one person to the next, one person to the next, one person to the next, each person was doing his part. Each person was doing his part. So one thing we learn about one accord is this, that we are members of one body. Amen. That we are, as Bible says, we are members of one body. Therefore, we learn from this version that in the house of God, to have one accord, we cannot afford to have spectators. That in this walk of faith, you cannot afford to be a spectator. We see here, every person was doing something small. Perfumers were doing their work. Masons were doing their work. Those who were guarding the workers were doing their work. They were no spectators. Why is spectatorship discouraged in faith? One, is because spectatorship breeds criticism. For those who watch soccer, sometimes like me, the best coaches in life are the ones who watch TV and sit on the terraces. They know who should be substituted. They know how you should have scored the penalty. You always have got the best ideas because you're a spectator. The day you are made a player, not even a player, a substitute, and you sit on the bench, you do the training, you will have grace. So we see in Nehemiah that there are no spectators. Number two, also we learn from that portion of scripture, is that no one is greater or no task is smaller. So as we grow the church, brothers and sisters, as we grow ourselves qualitatively, one thing we learn is that no one is greater. And the Bible says that we should regard others highly than ourselves. Let me show you something in Nehemiah three fourteen. He says, Mal- uh, Malchiah the son of of, of Rehab, leader of the district of Beth. Hakrem repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Now, brothers, this Melka is a son of the leaders. Okay? But this man went and repaired the side where sewage passes. I don't know that you can sing that. The refuge gate. This was a son of the leader. He was the son of the MP, for example. He was son of the pastor. And he went and did the most menial of the tasks. Repairing the refuge gate. In the house of God, brothers and sisters, I have come to learn there is no smaller task. If God called you to guard the gate, guard it diligently. You have got a crown as the one who is singing. If God called you to be an usher, do it diligently. If you are asked the task to go and clean the toilet of the church, do it like unto the Lord. There is a crown for that. This man was a son of the district commissioner. And he repaired the refuge gate. There is no task smaller or no one greater. We are all members of one body. We are not like the world that says that there are other animals more equal than others. We are all equal in the house of the Lord. He only gives others grace, perhaps to be leaders somewhere, and we submit to them. And there is anointing for that. There is blessing for that. But each one of us, we have got a part to play in the body of Christ. If you don't play it, you become a philosopher. You know what others should be doing, but you never touch yourself. Number three, we see from these two guys, from, uh, from the attitude of Nehemiah, we learn something from his attitude. That when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab attacked him throughout the entire process, he never bothered to argue with them. There's a time, if you read further, they wrote a letter. I think that's Nehemiah 16 or 17 19. They wrote him a letter, a long letter, and telling him that we know that you have come here to rebel against the king. A long letter. And the guy just replied with one sentence. He says, what you are saying is a fabrication. And he continued working. I learned one thing. That for us to be united as a body of Christ... For us to have one accord, we need not argue with darkness, but we shine. Let's not argue with darkness. And also, the harder we are hit as a body, the higher we jump. So, Sanballat will come, Tobiah will come, but we need to know that we are made of a different body, that we don't require to argue with the people of the world. And one thing, brothers, I also, I think I mentioned this thing, that today, it's amazing that the world portrays believers in the negative light. I've never understood why. I think it's the, it's the devil's tactic. The church does many things. But if today our church did something out here, the media would be at our doors. I remember one church in, in, in Embu. I think the elders had some altercation, which was unfortunate. And the media camped there for a whole month. But that church drills bore holes in Embu. It has taken children to school. Widows have been taken care of. The media never reported that. But the day something happens, watch, look at the movies. The movies, they portray always the men of God as uneducated. Watch the movies. As uneducated, as poor, as beggars, as conmen. The homosexuals, my brother, watch. They're always dashing young men. Dashing young men. Beautiful. And the media, what they do is this. They are so smart. They have learned that if you want to change people's mind, you don't do a whole program like KBC. KBC will do a whole program on, on growing trees, remember, and family planning. That thing no longer works. Boston Washington Group did a research and realized that if you want to change the behavior of people, you do a clip. For example, you say, we need people to have fewer children in a huge, in a bigger program. Perhaps you're having a program on agriculture. But within that program, you put a small line of we need people to have smaller children so they can manage the chamber. That line is more effective Than having a whole program on family planning. Why? Because many of us are bored by listening to a longer program. And so, when you watch movies and program TV programs, they bring in gay episodes as a flash. You just see a man taking, kissing another man, and the thing goes. They have done something in you. They have gotten your attention. They are changing your behavior. So we need to know how darkness works. For us to have unity, we should not be arguing with them, but we need to shine. I remember a story I was told one time of uh, the salmon that are grown, that are found in the Moroccan uh, Moroccan side. And uh, the story is that uh, this sp- uh, particular species of salmon are very tasty and are loved in the U.S. But the challenge is that shipping the salmon on the shores from Morocco uh, through the Atlantic to the U.S. meant that the salmon will die. And so they arrived not fresh. Okay. So one day, someone carried the salmon in good conditions to take them to the U.S. And when they arrived there, for the first time with many trials, the salmon were not dead. And so the science were so mesmerized of what they did to transport the salmon live. And guess what? They found within that tank that they were carrying the salmon, there was the sea lion. You know the sea lion? A sea lion is a predator that eats the salmon. So the salmon, the the, the, the sea lion, kept on chasing the salmon across the tank throughout the journey of the ship. So the salmon were trying to live, you know, if you've got a, a predator. So in the process of fighting for their life, they arrived alive. Lesson, my brother, is that these challenges we face in the world, they make us alive, arrive alive. It's for our good. So when the world bangs us and bashes us, it's pushing us towards our destiny. Number, number five. Let's, let's do a bit of uh, reading again. I think, Nehemiah 6.10. I see vehicles coming, meaning the service up. 6.10. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehateb, who was a secret informer. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they will come to kill you. So one, we learned that this gentleman... Shabel is uh, uh, uh Shemaiah, the son of, of Deliah, he was a sacred informer. Okay. And he wanted the Hemiah to commit sin by going to hide in the holy, in the in the holy of, of, of uh in, in the temple. And in 17, same same verse, we read, also in those days the nobles of Judah sent men letters to Dobiah, and the letters of Dobiah came to them for many in in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of uh, Sheshaniah, the son of, of Ariah. In short, Bible saying that these nobles of Judah were on the payroll of Tobiah and 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 Geshem and the other and, and other person. So we learn that as this man was constructing the wall within the team, there were informers. Brothers in the church who were spies because they were on the payroll or related to Tobiah. But one thing, brothers and sisters, as we come to a close, is that there is no any one time in this scripture that you see Nehemiah blaming these guys. At no any one time does Tobiah address these guys. The secret informers he used only to address what Tobiah will send. His focus was let's construct the wall, let's be of one accord, one mind. But as far as the informers are concerned, I will not focus my energy on them. What do we learn from that? Number one, that for us to have one accord as a church, we need to characterize our enemy. We need to know who our enemy is. And brothers and sisters, may I submit to you that our enemy is the devil and not members of the church. Absolutely. That we cannot have one of us to be our enemy. We will be losing focus. We will rub our shoulders, but let's remember that none of us inside here is our enemy. Some could be wayward, as pastor keeps saying, this is like a garage. The vehicles that come in that only need some oil. There are others that come here that need a whole overhaul. And each car requires different service. There are those that will require three years to come back to line. There are those that will just require some oil inside and online. line. So the one that requires on one oil a few minutes is different from the one that requires three years. The one for three years will call you Brothers, I've been conned in church by brothers and sisters. Several times, not one. Now I'm smarter. But I've been conned. But those guys are not my enemies. We're just nurturing them because they require a whole engine overhaul. Within four years, those guys will be talking tanks. No longer conning you. One man with his wife, beautiful wife, conned me in church. Never forgotten. You know when you drive the first car pastor, the way you love the, uh, your first car, well pimped my, my bachelor, well pimped with the, with nice rims. And the man knocks me and breaks all the all all, all the all the tail lights, reverses in my car. And he has a garage. And he's got a beautiful wife to make matters worse. And it gives me his number. It tells my brother, I've got a garage at Bellevue. Come see me tomorrow. Call me. I'll fix this. The next day he was in a meeting. The other day he was in a meeting and he never picked the calls up to date. But you know he was in the garage. Today the brother is born again, my brother. I don't think he knocks people. He cheats people anymore. But the point is, we need to characterize our enemy. Our enemy is the devil. We are brethren. We are members of one body. That's one accord. We will grow the church with that knowledge. That when stones are put together, we will rub on each other. But we are not enemies. The last one. When Tobiah kept peace with inform us, the Lord blessed him. That when you keep peace with others, you grow the body. Both yourself and others. I encourage you in the interest of time that we read Nehemiah 5 from 14 to 19. But one thing we learn from that portion of scripture, that God in his marvelous way, because Nehemiah was focused on the peace of others and the peace of Jerusalem, God prospered him. Actually, I was shocked to learn that when Hemiah was in Jerusalem, he never exacted usury or interest or charged people for the work. Instead, they were eating in his home. He says, for us, he was saying, for us the dinner, food, was one bull a day and four sheep. He never charged people for the labor. Instead, they would come and eat from his home. He fed the armies that had come with him this man was wealthy because he was focused on the big picture. He was focused on the unity of Christ, on the unity of the church. The final thing I also learned because this man was focused on keeping peace of the people is that God protected him. Everything that Sanballat will organize, the man will get a report. And he finished constructing the walls and left, went back to serve the king. Brothers and sisters, that is the lesson we get about church unity. That if we want to grow as a people, both qualitatively and quantitatively, we need to have one accord. Common purpose. Characterize your enemy. Let's have peace with others. For we are members of one body. Father, we thank you for your teaching. We pray that your Holy Spirit may continue to instruct us in your word. And Lord, many times as a people, we have disobeyed this commandment, this word, and distracted the unity of the body of Christ. And we ask you, Father, that you have mercy on us. We pray, Lord, that as we grow as a people in this church, that you will make us unified. You will give us common purpose. As we plan to relocate and get property will give us one purpose, one mind, one spirit that will be members of one body as you have ordained in your word. We also, Father, pray for the body of Christ in our country that we will remain to be united with common purpose. Common purpose of exalting you as our king. Common purpose of winning souls. Common purpose of influencing the world for your glory. For all these things, Father, you said they will become a A testimony for us. A testimony for them. An occasion for testimony. And every situation in our life is a testimony for the world. Father, give us that fortitude to be what you have called us to be. And we bless your name. And the may church say, Amen. Amen. Thank you.